0: We are in Acts 17, finally, um, after the review and then the deviation last week to talk about God's sovereignty and hurricanes and everything else. We're uh, in Acts 17, verses 1 through 15 today. And just as a review, remember, the letter of Acts was written to a guy named Theopolis. It was the second letter, the first was the Gospel of Luke, to really uh, point him to Jesus and how Jesus ministered and then how his disciples ministered and acts specifically how the gospel got from Jerusalem to Rome and that's important for him to know that he wants him to know that as a believer Theophilus was a believer that and he's writing to encourage him and to tell the story so that he can share the story Luke got all this information from, one, being with Paul when he traveled, but also interviewing people. He was a historian. And remember, the main message of Acts is that Jesus is the Savior and the King of the world. All the messages deal with His resurrection, His suffering. As a Messiah, the Jewish people didn't understand that. And even though Theophilus might not have been Jewish... Uh, He brings that out as he's uh, talking to him and teaching him about that. But specifically as we look at what happened in Acts 16 and uh, really starting in about 13 and on, um, when the church at Antioch sent Paul and Silas out, remember, the church at Antioch was the sending church that carried the gospel to Rome. The church in Jerusalem, remember, they, they didn't even go witness to the pagans up in Antioch. They, were, they struggled a little bit with this whole idea of Gentiles being brought in. Remember the controversy they had when Cornelius came in? And then they didn't deal with it with Cornelius, and they had to deal with it again in Acts chapter 15. In Acts 15, they had to have the whole council get together. James had to say, hey listen, they don't have to be circumcised they just need to do these things and those were sensitivity issues really the ones about not eating meat and it wasn't that they were making them adopt all the jewish laws but the, but think about that they really struggled with the whole idea of a gentile being in there why for thousands of years the gentiles were a source of great discomfort and judgment from god every time they hung around them what happened they would adopt their practices and then God would bring judgment to them and so you, I, it, I can see why they might have struggled but when Peter says God showed me that should have sealed it for him but they even Peter struggled with it after that he struggled with the pressure from people and so on the first missionary journey remember they had that council afterwards and they they dealt with it and then they had the disagreement over John Mark Uh, Paul did with uh, Barnabas so they ended up splitting on the second where Paul says let's go back and visit the churches Paul wanted to go to Asia he wanted to go to Ephesus and those areas and God said no Paul I don't want you to go there I want you to go to Europe and so he took him to Greece he took him to Philippi and at Philippi remember he encountered Lydia and uh, down on the river they started a little church there There was a a demon-possessed girl. The demon-possessed girl, uh, Paul cast out the demon. She could no longer tell the future. They had Paul thrown in jail and beaten. Paul and Silas both at that point. And uh, what did they do when they were in jail? Did they pray and ask God to get them out? No. No, they were praising singing. Singing praises. An earthquake came and... And the jailer ends up coming to faith, being part of that community in Philippi, that church that would be so special to Paul that we read about it in his letter to the Philippians. It was that church. And they supported Paul when he went to the place he's going next, which is Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. He's staying in Greece. These are Hellenistic places. And by the way, it, the Hellenists, what did they live for? What did the Greeks live for? World, worldly things. Pleasure. Pleasure, personal pleasure. Yeah, it was pleasure. Power. Mm-hmm. Pleasure and power. That was all it was for them. So this is where they are you know, punching through to take the Gospel. Eventually, Paul's he's trying to get to Rome. He wants to get to Rome because Rome was the center of the world. Uh, Thessalonica was the capital of Macedon or Macedonia. It was it was a huge city, big metropolitan area. And so this this what we're going to cover today in Acts 17 1 through 15 is looking specifically at these first two cities, he brings the gospel into. And who's with him? Silas. Silas and who? Timothy. Timothy. Timothy's there with him. And so they go into uh, Thessalonica and then they go to Berea. Two very different cities, okay? Thessalonica uh, is... Let's say Thessalonica is like downtown Jacksonville. Berea is like Palatka, okay? No kidding. One's very rural. One's very cosmopolitan. And remember, the Greeks thought everything revolved around the police. Not the police, police, but the police, polis. P O L I S, the city. Why? Because that was where you found knowledge. That was where you found truth. That was where you found pleasure. That was where you found power and protection. So everything to them, so once you got outside of the city, you were you were really going outside the protection of the state and going into kind of the people that lived out in the rural areas were not really regarded very highly. Do we still think that way today? Yeah, a little bit, right? You think the people in New York City think the people in the backwoods of Mississippi have, have uh, any value? Really? Really? You know, I mean, the people in the city tend to look and vice versa. To be fair, the people in the rural areas tend to look at the people in the city In the same way, right? Because they look at them and they're suspect of them. But the bottom line is, God sends it to both places. The Gospel comes to the city and to the rural area. I think it's really cool that He does that. And so as we look at this today, really, the whole theme of this today is in uh, verse 6 of chapter 17 where it says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, where are they talking about? They're talking about what happened in Philippi. Almost a hundred miles away. Paul and Silas made such an impact there that they said, these men have turned the world upside down. Right. Do you think ever, anybody would ever say that about you? This dude turned the world upside down. I mean... When he walks in the room, it's crazy. The impact. Now, why did they have such an impact? What what made them into men who turned the world upside down? Wouldn't you want to be that kind of guy? I want to be that kind of guy. I was thinking about Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth... By the way, David Beckham... You know, I'm not a big Soccer. soccer guy, but you know, all you soccer guys think, you know, he's a big celebrity, right? He waited in line 12 hours to pay his respects to Queen Elizabeth. 12 hours he waited in line with everybody else. Would you wait in 12 hours in line for anything? I mean, think about our culture. Do we wait? wait is anybody going to wait 12 hours for anything? Seriously, to pay respects to somebody who's gone, they're not even going to know he waited 12 hours. Why? Because of the impact Queen Elizabeth had. I was excited. And Queen Queen Elizabeth had such an impact. You know why she had such an impact? She didn't even want to be queen. She didn't even. She wasn't even supposed to be queen. But God establishes leaders, doesn't He? That's what the Scripture says. And God put her there. And you know what? She loved the Scriptures. The people around her that knew her said she loved the Bible, the Word of God. She was the real deal. And isn't that interesting? Until she died... Did any of you know that? I didn't know that until she died. She didn't wear it out in this big public way trying to gain publicity for it like some political leaders do. She just lived it. And she had an impact. And when we think about... Our, yeah, Did you hear her quote to Billy Graham? Yes. She said, wouldn't it be wonderful I if you came back while me. I'm still alive so that I could place my crown at his feet. Mm -hmm. Is that cool or what? Well, yes, she did invite Billy to go see her uh, after seeing him on a TV broadcast. But the the whole thing is, I want you to think about why she had an impact. It, It was because God used her. She valued God's Word. I mean, there was one, one of the preachers over there who said she loved the Scriptures. Don't you want that to be said about you? Randy loves the Scriptures. I mean, I, I, that, that right there. If they just put that on my tombstone, he loved God's Word. That, that is a testimony. When I read that, I was, I was taken back by it. So... How do we have an impact? Think about the impact people in the Bible. King David, First Samuel. He's a young boy, but David. A matter of fact, I'm going to give you the four. I want to give you these four uh, things that each of these people had. Paul and Paul and Silas had it for sure, and and all these people I'm going to mention had it. When you thought, stop and think about it. The, uh, But if we want to have an impact, the first thing we got to do is live boldly. Right. We got to live boldly. Do you know what that means? I was with a guy yesterday, a concrete guy. I never met him before. And we were just sitting at the fence talking. They were watching some stuff go on, and I just happened to be near him. And I introduced myself to him and was talking to him about the state of our country and. He said, we just need more men, real men. He said, where have all the men gone? We need to live boldly. And that's one of the things we're going to look at to have an impact as God's people. We've got to live boldly. So the second thing is we got to speak biblically. In other words, the Bible drives the things we say third, we've got to share inclusively. And by that, what I mean in the text, it comes out that there, we don't look at people and think they're beyond God's help because of their gender, because of their race, because of their socioeconomic background, because of their political ideology, because of their uh, weirdness. You know, in Austin, Texas, they got these t shirts that say, We love it weird. Yeah. Right? But but sometimes we look at weird people and we go, you know, we don't even bother to, to care for them. Whether they're trans, homosexual, or whatever. God's love extends to them, whether they receive it or not, that's on them. But we need to share the Gospel inclusively. And Paul and Barnabas did that. And we're going to see a really significant cultural thing take place in these Greek cities in this text. And then the fourth thing is we need to suffer trustingly. Listen, suffering is part of our journey. And if you don't embrace that now, Pray for me. I have high blood pressure If you don't brace, embrace that now, then you're missing a key part of what it means to be a Christian in the world today. It, it includes suffering. and I'm not just talking about medical suffering. I'm not talking about dealing with medical issues. I'm talking about because of your love for Jesus, people reject you, people want to hurt you, people hate you. That was the norm. For people and I, you know, I, I, I was talking to a SEAL guy this morning that comes out at the beach, and I said, you know, when you, you went through SEAL training or even when I, when I went through Marine training, it stunk. I mean, I wasn't sitting there going, "Boy, I love this," and I know he wasn't either. <laughs> it, and it was suffering. There, it was painful, but we knew what was on the other end. That that this was preparing us to be able to survive in a war. To be able to survive in a battle. And it was training. And so God says to His people, you're going to suffer. So we need to suffer trustingly looking at Him. So those four elements, guys, are what really make us men of impact. And so I go back to David. Think about David. Was David, did he live boldly? You betcha. As a teenager, all the adults in the room are cowering behind Goliath. And what did David do? He spoke biblically. He said, hey, our God can beat this guy. And what did they say? Shut up and go home. Why? Because people who are cowering are intimidated by people who are bold and without fear. So you better expect that. Because most people who are cowering don't want bold people around them because it makes them uncomfortable. They want them out of the way. But David was relentless and he said, no, God will defeat this guy. And he goes out there and beats him. Who had a bigger impact, David or his brothers? Do you remember his brother's names? Anybody? No. 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 Do you remember David's name? Yeah. Of course. (laughs) So David was a man of impact. What about Jeremiah? How'd you like to have his job? Go tell the king, hey, Babylon's going to kick your rear end and take everybody out of here under your reign, under your watch. He didn't want to hear that. That was terrible. But was Jeremiah a bold man? Was Jeremiah a man who spoke the Word? Yes, he did. He, he, he was a man who spoke the Word. And these men suffered. They did suffer. And they suffered trustingly. In fact, when David sinned under this, when he did the census, and and God gave him a choice, he said, "Listen, I'm going to put myself in your hands. I don't want to be in the hands of man. I would rather be in your hands, God, because you're more merciful than man is." Probably. David knew who Jesus was. He knew who God was. He he may not have known the future, the mystery of everything we know, but he knew God. He knew God and he trusted him. What about Elijah, the prophets of Baal? Was he bold? Did he speak biblically? Oh, yes. Yeah. In fact, he shared inclusively. He said, Go get all the prophets. Bring them all in here. Bring them in here. He suffered, too. Peter in Acts 2 and 4. Same thing, Paul in his journeys in Acts 16, 21, 24. These men who live boldly, who spoke biblically and shared without boundaries and they suffer trustingly are men who have an impact. And that's what God calls you and me to be. Men of impact. And all we have to do is follow Him. And as we go through these, we're going to read the text. I'm going to come back and we're going to look at how we live boldly, how we speak biblically, how we share inclusively, how we suffer trustingly. And I'll tell you, the word has a big part in all of that. Okay, so let's read the text and then we will uh, come back and look at each one of those. Starting in verse one. and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble They formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Jason is where they were staying. They were staying at Jason's house and he had invited them in and so they went to Jason's house, but they weren't there. It says, verse 6, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Also, And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. You ought to underline that. Paul did not dilute the Gospel by saying you just need to receive Jesus as Savior. He did not minimize the impact of Jesus as King And in that culture, that was a big deal. Much more than in our culture. But we got pastors today and preachers that won't preach that today because they don't want to offend people. But make no mistake, that was part of Paul's message. Because that's what they made the charge against. That he was saying, hey, there's another king. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So even though Paul, as the lightning rod, left, he left Timothy and Silas there to do the follow-up. He wanted there to be follow-up. It's really important for that. But you know, I was thinking about these guys. You know, this... Thessalonica, like I said, is the capital of Macedonia, and it's mostly Greek, but I just the other day read somewhere. It's like the mid-1800s, maybe, or the early 1900s, that um, Thessalonica, also known as Salonika today uh, in Greece, was 50% Jewish, even then, up to up to like in the last hundred years. And even now, it's still 25% Jewish. So there was a big Jewish population there. So what did Paul do? How did Paul show his boldness? He went into the synagogues. What had happened in every other synagogue he went into? He got persecuted. Yeah, did they receive him gladly? Man, this is great. Paul's giving us some new teaching. No. It was persecution after persecution after persecution. And still... He went into the synagogues three Sabbaths in a row. You know what he was doing in between those Sabbaths? You have to read the, the letter to the Thessalonians. There's first and second Thessalonians, but it tells you he was making tents. So from Monday, or actually from Sunday to Friday, Paul was making tents so as not to be a burden to the people there to provide for him. He, he, here's a guy who did not want to be a burden and he's working in the week and then on Sabbaths he goes in and he witnesses to the people in the synagogue. Boldly. That's bold. That's bold. He was a bold guy. Um, Deuteronomy 31.6 says be strong and courageous. Don't Fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord who goes with you; He will not leave you or forsake you. Mm-hmm. So often, guys, we we feel like when we we evaluate opportunities, um, we do it in the in our own strength, our own power. We look at our resources. We don't consider the God of all creation. He He's the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. Boldness. So how, how, how do we be bold men? Well, we have to know God. That's the answer. Know God. If you know God, you're going to be bold. The better you know Him, the bolder you're going to be. How do we get to know Him? Listen to Psalm 27, what David says in Psalm 27, 1 and 2. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to You, Your face, Lord, do I seek. (coughs) Hide not Your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Amen. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is a man who knew God. He knew Him. How do you know God? How do we know God? It's not by just sitting in a corner. It's by being in His Word. Being in the text. And it's not just professing you know him, it's putting it into practice. And how do we exercise that unless we go through difficult times? And and that's you know, it's like I was teaching the other day on the radio. What should have been the response of the disciples in the boat when they were in the storm? Jesus is asleep. What should they have done? When they Well, pray, yes. But even if they wake Him up, what should have been the first thing they said to Him? You can handle this. That's not what they said. They go, don't you care? Think about that for a second. The God of the universe, and it says when He goes, remember what He said? He goes, shalom, be still. He could have just said be still and would have obeyed. But He said, shalom first. Why? Because He's the giver of peace. In John 16, remember I shared last week, that He shares these things with us that we might find peace in Him. Strength in Him. But it says we know Him. Reading His Word over and over. Every year I pour through His Word and I'm reminded of His great power, His great love for His people, and I'm one of them. I get the benefit of that. That's why I get so excited to talk about the things He does. Do I get discouraged at times? Of course I do. But then I go back to His Word and I'm reminded of who He is. And I'm like, thank You, Lord. Matthew 10, 26-33 is pretty clear. Jesus is speaking. He says, have no fear of them. He's talking about people that persecute you. He says, don't fear those who kill the body, verse 28, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. And he says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny. John Monger says this text that I just read was what he meditated on while he was in jail for 18 months over in Nepal and Bhutan. That was his meditation passage. And he says, I don't fear man. I fear God more than man. Live boldly. Well, we're also to speak biblically. Notice what it says in verse 2. Paul went in as was his custom... And He reasoned with them. He reasoned. That means dialogue. That's not just a one way. That's a dialogue. He's reasoning and it says, He explained and proved that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, God told Joshua, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk, what? In the counsel of the wicked. or, or, Or... stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in what the law of the lord and on that law he meditates day and night and he will be like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf doesn't wither it produces fruit but the wicked are not so they're like the chaff the wind drives away that is god's words impact psalm 19 it it makes wise the simple It you know it 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 gives us comfort. It's it's God's word to us, guys. Is the thing that really helps us to be bold, as it points us to Him, about Him. But it also it's the things that we share with people. It makes us wise to be able to share that. What does Second Timothy say? Do your best to present yourself as. To God is one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the Word of Truth. Can you rightly divide it? If somebody came up to you today and says, hey, why, why did Messiah suffer? I thought He was going to be a king. Would you know where to go in the Bible? Would you know what passages to go to? Isaiah 53 would be a good one. Psalm 22 would be a good one. Psalm 18 would be another one. You don't know that if you don't read it and comprehend it and meditate on it, we cannot be content to just say, oh, I know John 3.16. Or, or, you know, for by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Guys, we need to read systematically. Go through the Bible. I can't understand it, Doug. Well, you're never going to understand it if you don't try to read it. That's a cop-out. We read it systematically. And, and we pour over it. And what we don't know, we write it out. Say to God, God, I don't understand this. I'll make a promise to you. You find something you don't understand and you ask Him. I'm not telling you He'll tell you right away, but I promise you He'll reveal it to you. That's His heart. And His desires for you to know His Word. He reasoned and He explained with the Thessalonians. And it's interesting the word used there up in uh, verse 4. Some of them were persuaded, it says in the ESV. In your uh, translation, it may say believed. But it's a different word for believed than is used for the Bereans. It, It literally means persuaded because they had to be persuaded. In other words, they didn't want to believe, but they were persuaded to believe. The Bereans, the word that's used there, is pisteo, which is the word for a settled trust. They were eager to receive it, and and that's why they were called. They were saying they were more noble. By the way, how many churches do you hear like First Baptists of Thessalonia or Thessalonica? I mean, how many Thessalonian church titles do you hear anywhere in the U.S.? Anywhere? Do you? But boy, do you hear Berea Baptist Church or Berea and Bible Church? Or they're all over. Just Google Berea Church, you'll see they're all over. Everybody wants to be noble. Everybody wants to be recognized for... Why were they noble? Because it says they sifted through the evidence of the Scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying was right. That's why whatever I say up here, you should be able to go back and look in the text. And if it's not in the text, you disregard it. You, You sift the evidence and search through it. The Gospel, guys has to be open to open debate like it was with the Thessalonians. And it has to be open to research. Anybody that wants to research what you're telling them. You should not feel threatened about that at all. You should be able to converse with people and have conversations with them. Listen, it doesn't mean you have to know all the answers. All the answers are in here. <laughs> you, you just have to know the one who knows all the answers. Amen. And tell them that. So live boldly. How? Know God. Speak biblically. How? Know God's Word. Third, share inclusively. Notice what it says in the text about who received it. Okay, If you look in verse 4, it says these women were there. It doesn't start off with them, but it says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few leading women. In other words, there were a lot of women why was that a big deal in the Greek culture? Because in the Greek culture, they didn't have the freedom to choose their religion apart from their husband's approval. That would create problems in the culture, wouldn't it? You share the Gospel in our culture, is it going to create problems in families? You betcha. But that's why we've got to be bold. Bold but we share inclusively. And so a lot of times, they would gear their efforts to men in the cities. The big discussion groups would be men. There would be no women there. But these women responded to the Gospel. Listen, Deuteronomy 10 says, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial. He's not partial to gender. He's not partial to uh, race, he's not partial to socioeconomic background, he's not partial to anything. With God, there's only two categories of people. There's his children and there's everybody else. That's it. His children and everybody else. And anybody in this group here can possibly be in this group here. We don't know who those people are. They can be trans. They can be homosexual. They can. It doesn't matter. We don't know who they are. They can be weird. God may use us to reach a weird person. Because they look at us as weird. Right? And so, we share inclusively. Galatians 3 said there's neither what? June or Greek. Slave or free, there's no male or female, for you're all one in Christ. Isaiah 56 says in verse 6 and 7, I'll just, the last part of it, he says, he basically says, just to paraphrase, all the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord will come and do this stuff, and I'm going to receive them. Why? For my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples, plural. That's all ethnic groups. So we share inclusively. Is there anybody in your circle of influence that maybe you haven't shared with because uh, you just don't, not their kind of people? Maybe you don't want to rub shoulders with them for whatever reason, they just rub you the wrong way. Maybe God could use the compassion through you. To tenderize their heart. So share inclusively. Share inclusively, and then how do we do that? By the way, well, it starts with prayer. Prayer, care, share. You pray for people, and you care for them. Do acts of kindness. You know, I have to tell you something. So t- today, during the hurricane, we had a basketball goal that used to be Rachel's, and we put it behind our fence. Uh, there's there's an empty lot next door to my house so I just put it behind the fence over there and I laid it flat down well we've been busy doing stuff with Rachel and I hadn't put it back up so I have a neighbor on my street that doesn't like me (laughs) Uh, because at one point the neighbor wanted that basketball goal there and I didn't want it there because it was bothering another neighbor so I put it down she got really upset about it even though it wasn't her basketball goal it was ours but she got really upset, so now she finds the need to put little notes on my mailbox when things aren't right. So she put a note on my mailbox that says, Dear Loving Neighbor, <laughs> <laughs> There's a, Your basketball goal is on the other side of the fence, and I walk the streets every day. And it, you know, I would appreciate it if you would clean that up and make our neighborhood look nice again. Because even though you can't see it, everybody else can. Signed, Concerned Neighbor. I saw it and I go, come on, really? It's not even been a week since everybody was cleaning up. I mean, come on. And, and I walked inside and I was convicted by this. And I just said, you know, what kind of witness am I? Because my, my instinct is to go say, hey, listen, do you not know? It's, only, it's not even been a week since a hurricane. I've got a daughter who just had major surgery I'm dealing with. Really? And I had to go pull it all back. Took my butt out there. Picked up the gold. Moved it over. Moved it back out of there. And I said, okay, God. And I prayed for him. Amen. And just prayed for him. Because they 're miserable they're miserable people they don't know the Lord and they're and how are they going to know them if i don't be a witness to them maybe they're my neighbor who's your neighbor people people that are right there anybody whose needs you see who needs God God puts you in a position to meet and so we share inclusively and finally guys we suffer trustingly look. Look what it says um, in verse, well, I I didn't tell you how on that. Let me go back. (laughs) How do we share inclusively? Because we know God's heart for all people, right? We don't get to choose. We're just his instruments for all people groups. And so we live biblically how we know God. I'm sorry, we live boldly how we know God. We speak biblically how we know God's Word. We share inclusively how we know God's heart for people. And finally, we suffer trustingly how we know God's always in control. And if He wants to take us through a valley, or He wants to take us through a storm, He's with us, right? Philippians one twenty-nine, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him but suffer for his sake. Does everybody get that? I do. Who is it? He's writing Philippians. He's writing the Philippians where he just was. He said, Listen, it's not only been granted everybody's happy with being granted eternal life, it's the suffering part we don't like, right? Right. But he says it has been granted to you, which means basically, it's kind of like a gift. What does suffering do? Dave, does it make you hold on to the world more or want to go to Jesus more? You suffer to learn to suffer and become closer to Jesus every day. Exactly. I don't know anybody that gets closer to Jesus when they get a Rolls Royce. But boy, you get cancer, you get close to Him. Oh yeah. you realize you're not in control. Yeah. Listen, 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. You want to follow Jesus? You're going to be persecuted. 1 Peter 2, 21, to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled... He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He didn't threaten. But He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. There's something beautiful about the fact that Jesus was being crucified and He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just like when Stephen said, forgive them. There's something that when you see it, I I mean, when we see people being mistreated, there's something that rises up in us that wants justice. Except, if God gave justice, He would wipe us all out. Now, we either believe that or we don't. Verse 7, I I do want to point this out. Um, When he talks about, I mentioned this lordship thing, the Jesus the King thing. When it says... He's mentioned another king real quick. The, the word there for another is a, it's of a different kind. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26, the end of Matthew? He says, listen, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were so, my servants would fight for me. But I, I'm not about establishing an earthly kingdom here. Not in the sense you think. That's why He's not really a threat to Rome. And, and Luke is very specific to use that word there. So, Jesus said that in Matthew 6. You know Romans 8.31 says, if God's for us, who can be against us? Right. Right? Mm-hmm. I want to close with this. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians was written to people who were suffering. And Paul was trying to encourage them. He says, hey, don't lose heart. Verse 16, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Wait a minute, Paul. Light and momentary? 39 lashes? How many times? I think five times. Beaten with rods, how many times? Three times. Light and momentary, right. Uh, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. you want to have an impact? Live boldly. Speak biblically. Share inclusively. And suffer trustingly with your eyes fixed on him. Danny, will you close our time? Yes. Lord, just praise and thank you for the we have to gather together to study your word. Praise and thank you for Doug. Uh, pray that you will bless him and his family with peace. Um, Lord, I just uh, ask you to bless all of us as we go forward and be bold witnesses and uh, just full of love and shining examples of all that you've done for us. Savior of the world in the name of Jesus, Messiah. Amen. 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 Amen.